This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Northwestern Community College. Join them for two weeks digging up dinosaur bones from the Jurassic period in Northwest Colorado this summer. For details, go to cncc.edu slash dinodig. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Hello and welcome to I Know Dino. I'm Garrett. And I'm Sabrina. And today we're going to talk about Nanooksaurus and some dinosaur news. So first in the news, Sir Richard Owen, who is the man who named dinosaurs dinosaurs in 1842, was recently given an honor by the Society of Biology. They gave him a plaque at Lancaster Royal Grammar School and it's a part of a new series of recognitions all around the UK celebrating, quote, eminent but sometimes unsung heroes of biology. So he was a paleontologist who rose from a poor background in Lancashire, and he became close to what you could consider a celebrity scientist today. Um, his biggest contribution to paleontology, I think, besides naming dinosaurs, was that he became the superintendent of the Natural History Department at the British Museum in 1856. And while he was there, he determined that the Natural History Department didn't have enough space. So he actually started a project to expand it and moved it into its current building, which is in South Kensington today. But actually, the Natural History Museum wasn't called the Natural History Museum until much later, and that's because it was considered part of the British Museum, and it was it was often called the British Museum, and then in parentheses it would say Natural History for that building, until 1963, which was almost 100 years after the building was made, and it wasn't actually renamed the Natural History Museum until it was fully separated in 1992. Dr. David Williams, who's a current fossil and algae researcher at the Natural History Museum in London, described Owen as cantankerous but extremely driven. He was a great academic researcher and was motivated by a desire to share the specimens with all of the public. That's really what led to the creation of the current museum building. So up next we have another dinosaur-related game. It seems like there are more and more of these the more you search. So this one came out in February of this year, and it's a tablet and phone-based game. Judging by the video I watched on it, it really looks like it's designed for a tablet. But it's for kids ages 4 to 10, and the basic outline of it is that you can hatch six baby dinosaurs and then you explore a big 3D world, you go through caves, you can swim through rivers, and you can explore forests. And 
there are little word puzzles where you ask questions and it gives you answers and you can um, discover little fossils around the place and all sorts of stuff. And it gives you a little information and vocabulary and teaches basic sentence structure and some things like that. So it's pretty interesting. One thing I thought was kind of fun is um, you can do a little Mad Lib and it can be linked to your parents' email account and then it'll send them the little Mad Libs that they do. And it also has parental control so you can control how many hours a day or actually more like minutes, 10, 20, 30 minutes, I think are some of the intervals for how long they can play a day so they don't get too hooked. So the game's called Dino Tales by Kuato Studios. And it's available for $4. If you have a little kid, maybe it's worth checking out. In Jurassic World news, new images of Chris Pratt and his pack of raptors have been released. They show him interacting with them as well as uh, the control room of the movie. For those who may not know too much about Jurassic World yet, Chris Pratt plays Owen Grady, who is a raptor handler, Up until recently, the raptors weren't posted on the official dinosaur list on their website, but they are now added. And one thing about this movie is the raptors are not one of the main enemies in the film, unlike in the first few movies. So they've been trained because they're so clever. And uh, as we've discussed before, with the new hybrid dinosaur, the Indominus Rex, is actually going to be the main predator. So also in the news is a new potential Jurassic era underground dinosaur themed museum, (laughs) which is kind of a mouthful, but they're for short calling it Jurassica. So Jurassica is going to be really similar to the Eden Project, which is already open in the UK. And it's one of the five most visited sites in the UK. If you don't know about Project Eden, it's basically two large biodomes that are covered, and then they say there's a third uncovered biodome. And being inside these biodomes allows them to do a tropical environment, and then in the other one they do a Mediterranean environment, which obviously wouldn't usually be possible in England. But they're good for teaching kids and all that kind of stuff. So the Jurassica Project is potentially going to cost about 80 million pounds. The man who runs Project Eden is already involved with it, and so all the renderings of Jurassica have kind of a similar look to them. They have the same hexagonal roof and structure for the light to pass through. David Attenborough is also involved, and the BBC News has a fun picture of him looking down on a set of what the Jurassic Cove might look like. Potentially, if all things go according to plan, this could be open in 2021, and it would be about 132 feet deep, and the total area would be about a third the size of the Millennium Dome, which, if you're in the UK, you're familiar with. So it's already been awarded with a 30,000-pound traffic study because one of the biggest problems you face with these new big projects is how to get everyone to and from it. So inside the cove, there's going to be an aquatic section, and there's also going to be some land to it. So there are potentially going to be animatronic dinosaurs as well as some animatronic prehistoric water life like ichthyosaurs or possibly, hopefully, something a little bigger would be really cool. So we really hope that that gets made soon. 
This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Northwestern Community College, where you can become a part of the scientific process. As a participant, you can go on a real-life dinosaur dig, and you'll be helping to advance science and our understanding of the ancient world. What's really cool is that the fossilized bones that are being excavated, they're public, and they're going to be displayed and preserved for future generations to study and admire. Yeah, we've mentioned how that's a really important part of the scientific process, not just getting them out and describing them once, but keeping them and preserving them so that future questions and future scientists can take a look at those bones to answer new questions and validate results. And the site is special and also near and dear to me because it's in the Morrison Formation, known for the sauropods, mm -hmm. of course, of the Jurassic time. And it represents one of the best bone beds ever found in the saltwash member. Yeah, the current interpretation is that the site was the result of a Brachiosaurus sort of jamming up a river and then other carcasses piling up behind it. Oh, no. And that's how we got a bunch of different types of dinosaurs all fossilizing together. So, oh, no, but also, yay. <laughs> Good for us as scientists. Mm -hmm. And dinosaur enthusiasts. Yes. So there are two scheduled digs if you want to get involved with getting these bones out of the ground. You can go from July 6th to July 20th or from July 22nd to August 5th. Head over to cncc.edu slash dinodig. You'll get all of the details. Just make sure that you register online by May 31st. And again, that is cncc.edu slash dinodig, D-I-N-O-D-I-G. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Our dinosaur of the day is Nanuxaurus hoglundi, which is a tiny cousin of Tyrannosaurus rex that lived in the Arctic 70 million years ago. Nanuxaurus got its name from the polar bears that live near where the bones were found, as well as from the donor to the Perot Museum of Nature and Science in Dallas. And that's because the two men who found the bones both work at that museum. And those two men are Tony Fiorello and Ron Tikoski. So Nanuxaurus's name, specifically Nanook, comes from the Inupiat, which is an Alaskan Inuit tribe, and their word for polar bear. The Hunglundi part of the name comes from Forrest Hunglund, who is a philanthropist and the name of the donor to the Perot Museum. So when Nanuxaurus lived in northern Alaska, uh, northern Alaska was part of the subcontinent Laramidia and had weather similar to modern-day Seattle, which means it was cold but not frigid. In the Cretaceous period, the Arctic was fairly warm and had a lot of forests. Depending on the seasons, it had either very long days or very short days and very long nights. So like winter, for example, had 24 hours of darkness. So, and the Arctic where Nanuxaurus lived was a coastal plain, so they had tall conifer trees and flowering plants. The dinosaurs that lived there probably walked in valleys below snow-capped peaks, and Nanuxaurus hunted dinosaurs among sequoias. Tony Fiorello and Ron Tikowski, the ones who discovered Nanuxaurus, discovered Nanuxaurus in 2006, uh, along with another species that was a horned dinosaur. 
They had found fossil fragments of Nanooksaurus, the skull and jaw, in northern Alaska, in the Kikak Tegosik Quarry on the north slope close to the Yukon border. But they first ignored Nanooksaurus because they were more excited about the horned dinosaur, Pachyrhinosaurus. So they put the skull fragments aside. But one reason they came back to Nanooksaurus is because in the Pachyrhinosaurus, they found a lot of tooth marks in the bones. So the team's excavation was a 13 by 13 foot area, and it was about 400 miles northwest of Fairbanks. The team was funded by the National Science Foundation Office of Polar Programs. And although nearby area Alberta is known for its dinosaur bone beds, the Arctic is mostly uncharted, so they're not sure about how many dinosaur fossils they can find there. The Nanoxaurus discovery fills in some gaps about Tyrannosaurines and gives scientists insight into how they adapted and evolved in the Arctic. So we know that Nanoxaurus is a cousin of both T-Rex and Tarbosaurus, but Nanoxaurus lived about 1 to 2 million years before T-Rex, and except for it being so small, it looked a lot like T-Rex, but it probably weighed only 1,000 pounds. So Nanoxaurus was probably small to adapt to life in the north. And because of the long dark season, prey probably migrated or hibernated and was hard to find, which would mean that it had to be smaller to not starve to death. But it's still unclear how Nanoxaurus survived throughout the year. Uh, It's also strange that it was so small and in the Arctic because, as a general rule, animals grow bigger at the poles. For example, the polar bear is the largest bear species, and that's because these big animals lose heat more slowly. So Nanoxaurus was the dominant meat-eater in the Arctic, which was known as an ancient greenhouse Arctic since it was still pretty warm. And scientists so far know of at least four other carnivores and four other herbivores that lived there at the same time. So again, to emphasize how small Nanoxaurus was, especially compared to other Tyrannosaurs, it was about 20 feet long, about a two-foot-long skull, and about six feet high at the hip. It had killer whale-like teeth and twiggy arms, but again, it was the top predator. So Nanooksaurus had a long nasal cavity, which indicates it probably had a great sense of smell, which would have been very useful on the long winter nights. Because of its increased sense of smell, Nanooksaurus probably was an active hunter instead of just being a scavenger, and its upper jawbone, called the maxilla, had distinctive sockets found only in adults, of some advanced tyrannosaurs. The Nooksaurus probably had a lot of fuzz, like other tyrannosaurs, and that probably kept its body temperature up. Fiorillo said, I find it absolutely thrilling that there is another new dinosaur found in the polar region, and he was excited because, he says, it tells us that the ecosystem of the ancient Arctic was a very different place, and it challenges everything we know about dinosaurs. So Nanooksaurus is part of the subfamily Tyrannosaurinae, and Tyrannosaurinae is one of two subfamilies of Tyrannosauridae. The other subfamily in Tyrannosauridae is Albertosaurinae, which includes Albertosaurus and Gorgosaurus, while Tyrannosaurinae includes Tyrannosaurus and Tarbosaurus. Albertosaurins tend to be more slender with lower skulls. Some scientists have made more subdivisions within the subfamilies but there isn't enough information to make it official. Our fun fact is that dinosaurs were actually pretty smart. The smartest dinosaurs were smarter than the mammals that lived there at the same time. 
And that wraps up this episode of I Know Dino. From now until March 15th, which is only about two more weeks, we're running a giveaway. There's no purchase necessary, but to enter our giveaway, go to inodino.com slash podcast giveaway, where you can sign up for our newsletter, leave a review of our podcast on iTunes, view our Facebook page, and tweet us or follow us on Twitter at inodino. Prizes include a $50 gift card to iTunes, a free copy of Dr. Anthony J. Martin's book Dinosaurs Without Bones, and a free copy of the documentary Dinosaur 13. Until next time!